everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action film Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again on this lovely, uh, brisk uh, Wednesday morning in the middle of August <laughs> is, is Duncan Shields of, uh, of the Time Band a minute, to, to right. say the least. <laughs> dropping in through my little uh hole in space time to partake in some wonderful diehard conversations hey works for me works for me yeah just uh try not to break your neck okay yeah just, you know promise me that you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna you know, try not to fall down the stairs okay you know. i promise you okay all right good <laughs> and once we get that out of the way so we can we can move along so yeah. um minute 38 begins with tony um, stating a, a completely incorrect fact <laughs> <laughs> and ends with McLean uh, being completely out of breath. So yesterday we ended the the episode with leaving everyone on pins and needles because, uh, you know, Tony says, because you're a policeman, you know, and, and we're wondering what else he's going to say. And then he continues by saying there are rules for policemen. You know, so apparently he really does believe, or he makes it sound as if he, he believes, or he wants McLean to believe, I guess, that that he believes that, that all police follow rules. You well, know. it's a really, it's a central linchpin of this entire movie. You know, like when uh, Hans Gruber says, you don't, you ask for miracles, I give you the FBI. You know, yes. uh, like, it's all about, he knows the protocols. This whole thing, this whole caper will only work if there's protocols. And so Tony, I think is trying to be like a, like a Gruber junior here. He's like, ah, you know, uh, Hans Gruber is always saying that, you know, the, the American, um, you know, the, the, the justice professionals in America have to follow certain protocols, which is why this is all going to work. So I'm also going to throw my hat in the ring and assume that right now, uh, especially when I have a gun to my, a gun, gun to Gun well, to my it's like in the end of Goodfellas, right? When they when the cops put the gun to Ray Liotta's head and say freeze, he said, "As soon as I heard freeze, I knew it was the cops. Because if it had been one of the Goodfellas, I, I they wouldn't have said anything. I'd be dead." Exactly. So the fact that he's saying he's literally just saying freeze is is proving Tony's point. Right. Okay, that's true. Like, then you're you're very right about that. So, so you know, he is he's he is a loose cannon and he's on yeah. the edge and he skirts the rules, but he didn't just literally execute him. Right. And then he goes, Yeah, that's what my captain keeps telling me. And as he says this, he he elbows him in the head. <laughs> this doesn't look like, like a, an effective blow, but okay. Forget about that. But why is he you know what what does McLean think he's gonna gain by hitting Tony right now? You know, he's got a gun to his head. So you know, doesn't he want to try to get Tony to talk, you know, or get information to try? He he has no idea what's going on. He knows that there are these strange men in the building. That's all he knows, that are shooting guns and that they killed uh, Takagi. But besides that, what does he know? He doesn't know why they're here. He doesn't know what they want. You know, this is – he's supposed to get information at this point. You know, that's, that's what you do. You, 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 you threaten Tony and say, if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to blow your brains out, you know. Yeah. He, he doesn't know who Tony is. He doesn't know if Tony's going to agree or or disagree or whatever, but you at least do something. But no, he doesn't do that. All he does is, you know, tell him, that's what my captain keeps telling me, and then he hits him and starts a brawl between the two of them. 
you know, not uh, not not really good strategy here, McLean. No, not at all. Especially since Tony is much larger than him. Tony then <laughs> thrust backwards, and and like uh, McLean goes into the wall, you know, literally. <laughs> and but yeah, then McLean yeah. like jumps up and piggybacks Tony, and a lot of, you uh, know, aggressive starts, aggressive piggybacking here. For yeah, sure. that's right. And you know, he's trying to, you know, hold on to Tony. And Tony, for some strange reason, now starts spinning around and is opening fire. I guess that goes back to what you were saying the other day about, you know, he shouldn't have had his finger on the trigger. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's reflexive. He's just like, bad, do something. I don't know. Shoot. You know, like, uh, and it's like, you're not, you know, don't. You're wasting bullets. There's no, you're not shooting anywhere. Exactly. You're wasting, you're wasting bullets from, from uh, you know, one of those uh, ever-replenishing, uh, yes. you know, magazines and movies. Yeah, you know they forget which, about the it, fact it, that you have maybe thirty bullets and that's it. You know. Yeah. Which no, I remember I fought a I, sh I shot an Uzi on a gun range once in Vegas, and that was like really apparent. It was like, oh, empty. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. I was like, well, that like I think everybody should go to a gun range and you know fire a Magnum or fire a shotgun or fire an Uzi because it dispels. So many myths that you've been raised up believing by action movies. Yeah. Right. Like the, and also, like he said, the, you know, keep the Uzi pointed down because it, it'll buck upwards with each bullet. Correct. And I was like, uh, okay, okay, I got you. And then I fired it. And yeah, the first two bullets went into the wall and like the next nine went into the ceiling. I was like, oh, you, oh, <laughs> you like, it really kicks up. Like, you know, you don't know. Yeah. And like, and I fired a Magnum and I just about took out my own eye because of the kickback was like a horse kicked my hands or something. Like I was like, so you see these movies where Dirty Harry's one handing a Magnum, you know, six times, or you see someone who's got an Uzi in each hand and they're firing at a, like a hose for five minutes, or they're, you know, doing all this, uh, all these things that like, once you, once you handle some firearms, you're like, none of those things are possible. No, but it's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> you know? So maybe it is possible, you know, maybe it is. Maybe you know, it we'll is. have to ask, we'll have to ask, uh, you know, a friend of the show, J Bam, who, who did yeah. the Dirty Harry, uh, minute by minute podcast maybe maybe he has some insight into that so jbam when you when you listen to this uh you know let us know what you think you know does dirty harry can, can clint eastwood really you know handle handle a magnum that way who knows and i forget what movie i saw oh it was um a prophet it was called a prophet where this uh, uh it's it's in a french prison and um i think i've seen that uh, it's a good it's a good movie and it's shot like a documentary like i was like i didn't feel like i was watching a movie i felt like i was just watching i felt like i was inside a prison with these guys but there's a bit where they have a gunfight inside a car at the end and everybody is like deaf for five minutes as a result because they're inside a car and they fired a gun Correct. and that's like okay like all your eardrums just like went into shock and it was one of the first times in a movie where i've seen that you know you, you always see people firing in enclosed spaces and they're just fine and i'm like nope yeah. that's what they are loud but okay yeah and mclean like it looks like he's riding him like a bull you know like yeah. he's on a, he's because because tony's trying to buck him off and, and he's grabbing onto him you know uh very forcefully you know and it looks like a bull that's trying to to get a rider yeah. off off, off his uh, back really reminds me of the dread pirate roberts taking down yes. andrea the giant and the princess bride i love exactly. a good david and goliath fight i do think that if tony had had the presence of mind he should have backed mclean into the saw yeah that probably would have uh, been a good idea 
instead of these flimsy metal struts and some flimsy drywall. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, then then he he spins around trying to get McLean off his back, and then he he shoots at a three hundred and sixty degree angle, you know, hitting all the walls, electric wires, and stuff like that. Again, you know, take your finger out of the trigger. <laughs> yes. And then he 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 slams McLean into another wall, you know, breaking the the, the, the sheetrock there, you know, trying to get him off the, off his back. And then you know, I never noticed this before until I you know, did the research here, there's actually dialogue that happens during this scene where McLean is screaming at him and he says to him, drop that mother I'll fucking kill you. Right. And then he, he continues, he grunts and then he goes, come on, come on. I'll rip your head off. You know, so well, well, maybe you, that you don't hear of... these things. You can't no. really hear it. He's, you know. But earlier we were talking, like, what is his possible strategy? He's supposed to get information out of the guy or something. And I think maybe what the elbow, the flying elbow was about was that uh, he was the first step to disarming him. Right. He wants to disarm him before he asks him questions. And that's what resulted in this um, in this thing. But you're right. He should, he should have just started asking while he had the drop on him. Well, again, when you have a gun against someone's head, you say, okay, drop your weapon. Yeah. That's the first thing to say. That's yeah, the one thing you learn from Westerns. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Drop it. Yeah. But you don't do that while you're fighting. No. <laughs> you do that beforehand. You know, a little bit beforehand, you can try and do these things. And, you know, then, then uh, you know, McLean grabs uh, Tony's neck. And then, uh, you know, Tony then uh, heads for another wall and, and starts headbutting McLean into the wall like three successive times, you know, clearly breaking the the wall you know who's gonna pay for that damage yeah and uh he he doesn't let go you know he, he it doesn't matter how tony goes you know tony just goes backwards you know he, he goes forward he goes in all different directions and then he ends up uh crashing through you know uh, an area of construction and then somehow he he makes it through the the, the door of the 32nd uh floor you know stairwell you yeah. think that that door is is a much more powerful door. I mean, we're not talking here just about drywall, something like that. They, they take that door off the hinges as they go through it. Well, that's 400 pounds of uh, mad, angry man just uh, slamming. Men. <laughs> men, yeah. Uh, you know, 400 pounds of men just uh, slamming into that door. And, you know, office doors, it's not a metal door, but I guess it would be a fire door. So, um, uh, You sure that's not a metal door? No, it might be. If it's a metal door. No, no, door, it's wooden. No, no, it's wooden. If you look at it, you see it's a wooden yeah. door. Yeah. If that was a metal door to the fire escape or whatever, then it needs to be fireproof and it needs to be sturdy. So I would have less trouble buying it. But it is, uh, it, it does seem to be like it's a wooden door and those things. I mean, yeah. whatever. You know, especially. And, I mean, this right. is, this is choreographed really well because, like, you know, it we is. have McLean is the one underneath on his back, you know, yeah. with Tony on top of him. And then yeah. as they slide down, you see that Tony flips over him and yeah. then they start tumbling down the stairwell. That's and right. then, you know, John lands on him and we, we, we hear the quick, we hear the loud, uh, ADR sound of, of a neck snapping or yeah. something snapping. And a squawk. You got a good squawk yeah. from Tony. <laughs> <laughs> right. A grunt. A grunt. Yeah. And, uh, not, yeah. not the wheel, what would have been a good Wilhelm scream. Uh, place for this but uh we get a good little squawk from him yeah yeah and, uh, and i mean and you, can, me... you can see in these you can see in these quick shots here that there's stunt people 
Like yes. especially and when they go through the door and their faces land right in front of the camera, you can see it's not Bruce Willis and it's not the actor playing. It's not Andreas. Right. Uh, but it's so quick. It's like so quick. And so it's, yeah. it's really, it's really well done in that way. Cause uh, you've got those old Star Trek fights where you're like, that's not remotely the person that's not remotely William Shatner at all, you know, like, but if you do it well with good editing, you can, you can do this where their faces are right in the camera, but you don't notice unless you're going through it with like a fine tooth comb, like we're doing. Yeah. Oh, wow. You really can see it's someone else. Yeah. Bruce Willis is definitely not him. Yeah. He's, he's got like a meteor face. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's really cool. I didn't even, I didn't even think to look at that or anything like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes me wonder, you know, if in if in real life, it's that easy to to break someone's neck like they do in movies. You know, a <laughs> yeah. lot of times, you know, people people will just like take take their, you know, put their hands around someone's neck and within two seconds just snap it. It's I'm assuming it's 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 the Vulcan nerve pitch of action movies. You see these little like you know, eighty nine pound women reaching up and just grabbing some uh, you know muscle mounted of a man and just giving their head a little tweak, and then we hear the. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the, the neck snapping and they go down like a sack of bricks, and it's because they have training. I'm like, yes. okay, sure, but the tensile strength of a strong neck, you know, that's not just training. There's no like magic yeah. trick, Jenga puzzle <laughs> unlocking mechanism. Like it, uh, it's it's meat, you know. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, I, I I think it's a lot, but it, you do it for the same reason that you do like, you know, strangling scenes in movies are often quite short. Yeah. You know, because it does take about literally 12 minutes and we don't have that kind of time, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you just have to, <laughs> you know, just, you know, shorthanded. Yeah, completely. And, you know, at this point, Tony doesn't move at all. And McLean is completely out of breath because, you know, yes. Bruce Willis just, just, uh, you know, was placed in that, in that area instead of having him, have him, you know, roll down the stairs because his stunt double do that. You know, we see a little, we see blood on his t-shirt, on his A-shirt. It's not a t-shirt, yes. really. On his A-shirt. And then he, he, he gets up and he, he kicks Tony's body just to make sure he's really dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, he's not phased by this at all. You know. He's got <laughs> he a, doesn't really care. I love what he does. He, like, so he, he picks up Tony's head. And, yeah. And uh, Tony's doing a great job of staring at the ceiling with his dead And his dead eyes are like, com- they're completely glazed over. Totally wide open. Great. And his, yeah. his lifeless open blue eyes. And then he drops the head back down and then he pats him on the chest. Yeah. Almost like, good boy. Good boy. Like he's, he's, he's like, ah, oh, okay. Nice one. I'm, you know, yeah. way to be, but he, way to be dead. Congratulations for being dead. You're really help. You're doing me a solid here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you made it easier for me, but but this also shows that he's completely out of shape. You know, you you think of of Bruce Willis being at least somewhat in shape here, but this this you know the idea of trying to present him as an everyman, you know, just this little fight has yeah. taken the, the entire wind out of him. Yeah, and it, but it, he's a lot like uh, Harrison Ford in Raiders of the Lost Ark in this movie, yeah. in that like. You know the good guy's going to win. You know that. You know that. But you have to make it seem like it was close, like it was a challenge, like it was yeah. a struggle. And that's the ch- that's the challenge in every single movie is uh, you, you have to make it seem like, oh, how's he going to get out of this one? You know, or like, oh, man, that was close. And if you can effectively make the audience feel that way, like at the end of The Matrix, 
every time Neo goes into the room and the agent has a drop on him and shoots him like six times, I'm like, oh no. And I've seen the movie four times, you know, or yeah. 10 times or whatever. Like, why <laughs> am I thinking, oh no, I shouldn't, you know, but I, every time I'm like, oh, <gasps> you know, and it, but it's like that here. You're like, wow, that was close. He's out of shape. This fight yeah. uh, took it out of him. It's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah. And, and, and that's pretty much how this minute ends. We, yep. we actually get it to end, you know, at, at a normal part, unlike the, the last few minutes that we were doing where it was in the middle, mid sentence or whatever. We get, we get a, a little bit of a break here, you know, the way that uh, they do this here. Now, a couple of things about this scene. And now, is this Bruce Willis's actual tattoo on his arm or is this from, was this for the movie? Is that, a, is that a cop tattoo that he's got for the movie? I, I, I've been trying to figure out what tattoo it is, but I believe that it's not a real tattoo. It I believe it's something just like, for the movie. Cause I know he has tattoos and I was looking up his tattoos and it doesn't look like that's one of them. So I think it's like a, yeah. A, a police I believe race. it's a tattoo. Now what will be interesting is to see if he has the same tattoo in, in later Die Hard movies. Ah, you know, yeah. For I'll sure. have to, I have to keep that in mind, you know, to to check when I get to the other movies. You also yeah. get a really clear look at his uh, gnarly shoulder surgery scar. Yes. In this, yeah, scene. I, I noticed I, that. I, I noticed that for the first time. Uh, I think about three weeks ago. You know, that it, there was a point this, where you can see that, like his rotator cuff. You know, he had uh, some sort of surgery there. There's complications uh, from a broken arm that he got when he was 17. And wow. I remember seeing, I remember seeing it and thinking that it was makeup, but they don't talk about it in the film at all. So it's like it's not relevant to the movie. So why would they put it in there? So I was thinking, so is it? Is that like Maybe his actual real. star? And <laughs> yeah. you know, he's an action star, so I'm used to my action stars having flawless bodies, but he's got this giant scar there, and yeah. uh, it's it's. Um, I was shocked to find out that it was real. And I, I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. It added a depth of, uh, of realness yeah. to it. Kind of like, um, like Sharon. Kind of with Harrison. What's that kind of with Harrison? No, Ford? I was going to say it's kind of like with Harrison Ford, where he has the, you know, the scar on his chin. Yeah. In different movies, they, you know, you have an Indiana Jones where they, they mentioned that he got that from the, from the whip. And in Star Wars, they never mentioned where he got it from. But in Working Girl, he said that, right. that, that like he, he slipped on the toilet when he was, uh, after he got a, uh, you know, his ear pierced as a kid or something like right. that. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, Sharon Stone's got a really big scar on, on her neck because she was uh, riding a horse as a child and ran into a clothesline and it ripped her neck open. So they, they cover it up for almost all of the movies that she's in. But there's a couple of movies at the beginning of Sphere when they're just talking to the camera. She's got this like, it's a huge scar right across her neck. And it's, uh, like a scary scar, you know, you're like, I, wow, you're, I'm, it looks like it's a close call. It's amazing. You're still with us, you know, but I, I like, it was now. a clothesline call. Hey, oh, <laughs> now I'm also, I'm having a hard time getting data on this, but I heard that this scene in particular was very dangerous and nearly killed the stunt actor. I, I can understand that. Because uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the stunt was supposed to be a little something else. Uh, but when this when this happened, they went down the stairs in this way. Um, they just made it look like Tony got his neck broken and called it a day. Like because they were like, because when they did the take, it did almost break the guy's neck. And right. um, uh, but I, I can't find any data on that, and I forget where I heard it, and I forget what um, where I found out that information. But uh, 
I can't find any data on it, so I could be totally wrong. But I remember, um, I remember a story about how this scene was like almost took that stunt actor out. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it does look like a very difficult scene to 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 have to to deal with. You know. Yeah, like they were going to land on the gun and the gun was going to go off or something. They had a different thing planned, but then this happened and it damaged the stunt actor. So they couldn't do another take. So they decided to just say, okay, his neck broke. That's that's how this scene ends now. Oh, you think you that? Know, like, hmm. that's the, maybe I, I wish I could find my corroborating facts on this one because I can't. But that's that's something that I remember as a, a hearing about a fact from this movie. But if I can't find any data on it, I might be just making stuff up in my head. But we'll see. Right. So no, I mean I, they don't have anything there in on IMDb. IMDb. The only thing they talk about with the stunt yeah. is the the mistake, you know, with the jump. Sure, sure, the, sure. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. They don't they don't mention anything else there. Right. Okay, cool. You have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get to the to the script? Nope. Okay, so no, the script just says a few a few little things. Not, nothing very much. It says um, McLean suddenly pistol whips Tony across the head. Tony reels, then swallows, worried for the first time. Ah, that's interesting that they mention that. And then McLean says, "Let's go." And then it goes into it's very descriptive about their their fight of everything that's going on. But again, in the script, the entire thing takes place in uh, in office cubicles, you know, where they're, they're breaking desks and they're, they're, you know, sure, going through, sure, sure. through like partitions and stuff like that. But there's nothing, you know, we, we don't get, I, I, again, I like the fact that this takes place in an area full of construction. Yeah, me too. You know, but they still have them going through, you know, the stairwell door, but it says that they open it. <laughs> it says they careen oh. <laughs> across the hall into the stairway door, opening it and crashing into the stairwell landing, then down the concrete steps into the wall of the landing below. For a moment, both men lie still. McLean still holding onto Tony's neck, releases it, and the man's head flops sickeningly to the side. You know, so, yeah. I mean, the plan was to kill Tony anyway. So, <laughs> not not something that happened by accident. <laughs> no, so I could, yeah. I don't know where. It's 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 really frustrating to me because uh, I can't find any data to back that up. But I remember right, well, when when, when this eventually airs, you can uh, you know you you have you have a, a few months to, to to look for for that information, and then you can yeah. post it. You know there on you the, the day that it airs. So so yeah. you know that that works too. Mm-hmm. You know it's not coming out tomorrow, so don't worry. You got a little bit of time. Okay, okay. <laughs> Mark that down for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> So every Wednesday we have a segment called Hans Hump Day, where my uh, guest will will give their their five favorite uh, uh, performances by the great thespian Alan Rickman, who we haven't seen yet this week, but maybe he'll decide to to drop in on us a little later this week. Who knows? Yeah. So Duncan, what what have you got? Once again, start with number five, work your way up to number one, unless you got honorable mentions to start off with in movies that you had small roles in. One, two. Okay, uh, my uh, number five is Robin Hood. Uh, I did not care for the film, but it was endlessly, it was made endlessly quotable because of him. That uh, you, 10 o'clock, you, 1030, bring a friend. And uh, that like, why would you use a spoon, sir? Because it would hurt more. Like all that. um, Because it's dull. 
Yeah, right. Uh, fantastic stuff. Yes. G- Galaxy Quest for sure. Hilarious. Uh, I'm glad that he got picked as the sort of Leonard Nimoy analog in that, uh, you know, by by Grothar's hammer, uh, all that kind of stuff. Is um is really really good. And the guy who's like sick of playing the role but has to show up to the cons. Um, perfect. Because I mean, he was. I think he was also the voice of Marvin the Mar- uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android. Yes. In, um, in, in uh, uh, a Hitch- in Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker's remake, uh, and you know, because he's got that that voice that I have seen way too much, and I am so done. But I yeah. am somehow still cursed with life. You know, he's got that great that great voice for that. Uh, Harry Potter films at number three, all of them. His Snape was unparalleled. He didn't want to take Die Hard uh, for fear of being typecast as a villain, much like David Warner, who played Sark and Tron and. Jack Ripper in Time After Time and the literal embodiment of evil in Time Bandits. So, and I imagine it's the same for uh, the actor Michael Wincott from The Crow. Like when you play a bad guy and you nail it and people love you for it, then get ready to play a bad guy for the rest of your life, which is kind of like, uh, you know, golden handcuffs for an actor because maybe you're getting good money to play these roles, but you're like, I can do so much more <laughs> than, <laughs> than this. And, and right. that's now- why, yeah. Right. So because I, I, you know, I give points to each of them. So, you know, you want to pick one of the Harry Potter movies that you think he's the best in? Well, I don't know. Maybe the second half of the last one or else the, uh, you know, when when he's being introduced, whatever the one where he goes number 42 when he's or number two. I don't know. I'll go with. um, Yeah. Film two or the final film, I guess, when it all. Well, pick one of them. <laughs> All right. Final film. I'll go for final film. Okay. Whatever, Sorry, whatever I just want to have, you know, film. I just want to have, yeah. want to be able to, 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 to tally this all up. And, you know, I can't give points to every one of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Yeah, put me down for 10 points, please. There you go. Um, and then my, uh, my, my pick for number two is the first film that I saw him in was Truly Madly Deeply. So I never knew him as a bad guy until I saw Die Hard. Uh, I saw him in Truly Madly Deeply, and then I saw him in Die Hard. So, um, and in Truly Madly Deeply, he's a, a romantic lead, and it's a mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful film. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. movie. And then my number one pick for him was uh, Sweeney Todd, because I saw Sweeney Todd unfamiliar with the um, opera, and uh, kind of not super into it, but my partner's really into musicals, and I'm like, well, I mean, I'll go see it. It's Tim Burton. It's another Tim Burton, Johnny Depp joint. Uh, you know, and I don't think I knew that Alan Rickman was in it. Uh, so I wanted to see it because I heard the songs were pretty good. Kind of like it took me forever to get to Hamilton. So I was like, okay, Sweetie Todd, let's check it out. Oh, Alan Rickman's in this. And I'd, I'd just come off, a, you know, a decade or more of seeing him play Snape. So I was like, oh, I want to see him play something else, you know, and he was not Snape in Sweeney Todd, but he was a bad person, an evil person, but he was able to be so much more evil in a rich layered way than in uh, the sort of, you know, two dimensional uh, Snape character or the more sort of family friendly Snape character. Uh, in in Sweeney Todd, he's legit sinister, and every second he's on screen, you're like, "Don't mess with this guy!" Oh my gosh, because he's like rich and powerful, and he is 
uh, he will mess you up. And the, just the gravitas and the majesty he has had. Yeah, I don't know. But I remember looking over his uh, film list here, and I, I feel like I want to give Quigley Down Under another try because I I saw that movie when it came out, and um, I completely forgot that Alan Rickman was the bad guy in that movie or, or was in that movie. So I do want to say a little bit about him. But, but where, gone... where's Die Hard on, on your list? <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I was, I didn't think I was allowed to include that. Of course one. you're allowed was to. Like, I no. thought it was uh, films other than Die Hard. Die no, Hard no, 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 not at all. Oh, well, then I would probably put, uh, probably put Die Hard at the number one for his performance because his like, ah, don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. I'm just a hapless American, you know, bit right. uh, is <laughs> it's, it's, it's cinema history, you know, to, to him to go from a very, what I thought was a credible German accent to, uh, to like, it was the first time I saw somebody switch accents, I think in a movie and somebody, uh, sorry, somebody that I knew was not American switched to an American accent mm -hmm. in a movie. Like, you know, you've got someone like Daniel Radcliffe and horns and something where they have the accent for the whole movie, but to see them switch between it in one scene is just always so great. Right. And, and the more the more flawless it is, the more impressive it is when someone does your regional dialect perfectly. And just a second ago, they had a heavy German accent or something, you know, it blows your mind. There's something about it that I just can't get ever get tired of. it. And, and this was something. And then in this movie, he was um, he was so good at it. So. OK, he's such, he's that fun. makes a lot of sense. And but I do I do want to. I read that Alan Rickman was discovered by Joel Silver and John McTiernan when they saw him in a stage play of Dangerous Liaisons. Mm -hmm. That's right. He he played the Jonathan Malkovich character, Balmont. Yes. And I just was like, what? <laughs> like, oh, would I have loved to have seen that play? It's like I found out that there was a version of Amadeus done with Tim Curry playing Mozart and Ian McKellen playing Salieri. Oh, you wow. Know? And I'm like... Are you kidding me? Like, holy what? And uh, and I would love to have seen that. It's also pretty cool that the first scene they filmed was Gruber meeting McLean. Yes. And uh, that 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 scene of them meeting was one of the first ones they got in the can. So. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so you want to once again tell people where they can find you. TorontoLogicallySpeaking.com, TimeBanditsMinute.com, or go to ByDuncanShields.com. Uh, on, you know, ByDuncanShields on Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever. And, uh, All right. yeah, look forward okay. to talking to you. Excellent. And uh, while you're doing that, you can go re review and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is quite simple. Just do a search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on my website which is movieroundminute.com. You can find me on Twitter, or you can find me on Facebook. So, Duncan, you feel like coming back again tomorrow? I do, yes. All right, excellent. So we will see you tomorrow, and until then, yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay!